This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. With me in the studio this week is Terry Hayes. She's running for governor as an independent. Legislature as Democrats. And I recall you saying that at one point you never wanted to serve in the minority. You were the vote counter, so you knew, and I'm, I'm sure you still know, the um, the importance of being able to count votes to get legislation accomplished. And then you ran for Speaker of the House as a Democrat. And shortly after that, you made the decision to leave the Democratic Party. And I think it'd be interesting to know, here in your own words, why you made that decision. Well, thanks, Cynthia. I'm happy to answer the question. I left the Democratic Party in November of 2014 after the election that year. That was the very end of my last, um, within a month of when we were done, uh, when I was done, my legislative service. And I left the party because in my personal experience, it was internally one of the least democratic institutions I've ever encountered. In 2012, when it was a full court press across both the House and the Senate districts, um, both both bodies had been in Republican control from 2010 to 2012, and we worked really hard to earn the majorities back. And I was particularly frustrated by what we did with those majorities that we earned back. Um, I did not think that things changed um, in a variety of ways, and probably the best way I think to describe it is we didn't stop campaigning on election night in 2012. We campaigned all the way through that whole session. And that's not why I worked so hard to earn the majority back. I really wanted to get some stuff done. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Is it the internal politics of the Democratic Party that kind of turned you off? Yes. Okay. So if that's the case, then what do you say to somebody like myself, maybe, who Mm -hmm. would kiddingly... Uh, say, well, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Like, this I is did. politics. <laughs> That's exactly what I right. did, Cynthia. But, but, but now you're still like in. the way it was done. I'm still in politics. Yes. It's more than one way to do politics. Okay, and so let's talk about that. Basically, what's happening, what I observed inside the party, is the party's more important than the people. And that's not why I wanted to serve in public office. I want to do what's best for Maine, not what's best necessarily for the Democratic Party. Yes, And I was being asked to make the Democratic Party more important than my perception of the people, and I chose not to do that any longer. So I did, in fact, get out of the kitchen. Yeah, okay. It just seems to me, and this is an argument that um, Dick Woodbury and I have around, we batted around, Um, I also think that the internal politics of political parties are just as nasty as really anything. Uh, there's there's no judge, there's no law. It's it's mm-hmm. really just power and and politics. It's it's an art and it's also kind of street fighting. Um, but I just I don't know or I can't see how independents, if they separate themselves from an organization or a group, how they're going to have the political leverage to actually get some things done. Well, we'll find out, won't we? I mean, it's interesting, Cynthia. Since then, since leaving the party, I've been able to have political leverage to serve as the first state, the state's first independent state treasurer for the last four years, and that required support within the legislature from both Democrats and Republicans in order to have this role, not just once, but twice, in 2014 and 2016. Um, and, and I've been able to do that. I would suggest to you that's because the my colleagues and former colleagues uh, at this, at, at both those junctures, trusted me, because I tell them the truth. I don't play games. I don't do gotcha. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't ration information. I treat everybody with respect, and and the same because we're all in this together. Did you have? Um, 
in your opinion, um, skills perhaps that others didn't have in dealing with Governor LePage? <laughs> Here's what I think is interesting, Cynthia. The, the difference, we all have a choice when we're interacting with each other. Governor LePage comes on with like a closed fist. He's going to force, um, he, uh, that's the way I would describe it. If, you're, if your listeners could see me now, I've got my left hand in a fist and it's coming up against my, the palm of my right hand. We have a choice. We can meet that fist with a fist or we can choose not to do that. I've chosen not to do that with the governor. That doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements, but I take care of them eyeball to eyeball with him. I have not made it a practice to um, do it through press releases and so forth. I, I have a job to do as a state treasurer that is bigger and more important than Governor LePage. What do you think your biggest job will be when you're elected and, and serve in the Blaine House? Is it appointing your cabinet? Uh, you know, leaders of the uh, you know the Department of Health and Human Services, this huge organization mm -hmm. that so many families depend on and is use so much money of the budget. Um, what do you th what do you see as really the top jobs on day one? Uh, well, the first thing that I will do, which which gets at an earlier question or, or a piece of it, a piece of it, I think that you asked, Cynthia. Um, the legislature will elect its leadership within two weeks of election day when the, when the governor is elected and I will meet with those legislative leaders. I want to meet with them early on and establish a rapport and a working atmosphere with them regardless of which parties they happen to be in. I want to share with them on a, on a more intimate way than the campaign can what my policy priorities are and I want to find out what theirs are to figure out how we're going to do this together. So the first thing and that's terribly important to me because we've had an executive branch at war with the legislative branch now for the last six years and I don't think that's any way to govern. Do you think mm -hmm. that uh, having been elected as the state treasurer, the first independent state treasurer, congratulations, um, do you believe that constitutional officers, in particular the Attorney General, should be elected by the legislature? It's in our state constitution. I won't be proposing an amendment to the state constitution around that issue. It's not a priority for me. Do you have concerns that perhaps the legislature might elect an attorney general that you are going to be by law required to, to work with, um, that, that you might not have control over people that you're going to rely on? Does that concern you? No. As the state treasurer, what did you um, learn with respect to the politics of the state treasurer's office? Well, it's interesting. Treasury is, um, on its best days, is drama averse. You know, if Treasury's in a headline, it's usually bad news. So the idea is to stay out of the headlines. Kind of works against you when you want to go from treasurer to governor because a lot of folks don't know who I am because it's not been our goal to well, be Bruce, in the headlines. Bruce Poliquin I used his office as state treasurer to launch, I can't recall how many, but there were several campaigns. Um, did right. you think that um, was his style just different from, than yours? or do you, Dramatically. And do you believe that you've been more effective being under the radar? I, I can't compare myself because I can't say I was really looking at outcomes when when uh, Bruce Poliquin was treasurer, so when you have to ask more effective than he, I, I, I can't answer that, Cynthia. I am most comfortable that the way I've performed my job is in Maine's best interest. You, you know, the most recent significant conflict I had with the governor was in June, when uh, we, were, we were, had been in the bond market, had priced our bonds, we go once a year, 
and I had two investment banks that had tied up tens of millions of dollars and we went from pricing to closing and I couldn't close. I couldn't deliver the documents because two days ahead of the closing, the governor said, I'm not going to sign the papers. Cynthia, that had never happened before. I had to call two investment banks on a Friday afternoon and say, I can't deliver on Tuesday. How are these closings handled now? Do you actually have to show up and, and sign papers with a blue pen like the good old days, or is it all done with electronic signatures and kind no, of... No, it's done with real signatures, but they're done in advance. Mm-hmm. So, Because the documents have to go to New Jersey for review by the Buyer's Council before the date of closing, so I had to deliver them so that they were in hand by Monday, and the official date of closing was on a Tuesday. So I, this, this was not a circumstance we had encountered before, N- neither myself nor the folks on the other end, the buyers. So there was a lot of silence on the other end of that, those two phone calls that I made that Friday afternoon. And then in both conversations, we said, well, we're not really sure how to back this up, but we're going to figure it out. That was a real stressful position to be put in on behalf of the state of Maine. Now, I could have put out press releases and dragged the, you know, the governor's name through the mud because this was a significant challenge in terms of our business reputation. But if I did that, when I go back to the bond market sometime a month or two later, because I'm going to go, I know I'm going to go, I just don't know when, it's going to cost us more money. What does that mean that you're going to go to the bond market? It's not like going into Hannaford's. What does it actually mean for It people? means that we're going to sell bonds in order to raise money. We had borrowed um, $54 million from ourselves over the course of the fiscal year of FY18, and we had to pay that back to the cash pool. That was half of the money we were going to raise in that bond sale. So the other half was going for projects that um, that were about to start, but there were $54 million worth of investment that we had already made, and we were obligated to pay that back. So I knew I would be going to the market to raise that money. I just didn't know when, because I can't. it takes both the governor and the treasurer to do this statutorily. Uh, he can't go without me, and I can't go without him. So I knew I wasn't going to close in June because he wouldn't sign the paperwork. But I didn't want to make a bigger deal out of it because I knew that I was going to have to go eventually when he was ready. And I didn't want it to cost us more money because when you inject risk into a financial transaction, you increase the costs. And I don't want to do anything at that stage that's going to make it look riskier, Cynthia. So that's an example where I think you have to put, I, I felt obligated to put Maine's needs ahead of any of the publicity stuff. Well, I and I agree with you. And I think keeping a cool uh, hand in a time of crisis uh, usually serves you well. Mm-hmm. And it's always important to demonstrate that you can handle a crisis if you're a leader. I think that's really important. So it's probably good for your staff and for everyone to see you manage the mm-hmm. situation. And it's a good example of your executive experience. I guess what I wonder, though, is that, you know, in just terms of just raw political power to actually accomplish accomplish things, I wonder whether or not people who run for things as unenrolled or independents are are going to be able to you know accomplish what they hope they hope you know. It seems to me you could work within the Democratic Party and accomplish a lot, perhaps more. But obviously, you feel differently. Um, that wasn't my experience. Um, and at this point in time, the partisanship, in my observation, it's different, Cynthia. When you and I started serving, 
um, leadership was different. Leadership was friends with each other, and there were more relationships across the aisle and in the chamber than I see now. There's, there's. I look at it over a 12-year span and you know, see the first six years different than the second six years, and a significant difference. And I really believe that the partisanship is poison right now. It's not about the Democratic Party winning. It's about whether or not Maine moves forward. And if, and if we're going to, you know, I don't play for either team because neither team, in my opinion, is playing for Maine. They're playing for themselves. Mm. And See, that's I the hear difference. that, though. Uh, when I, you know, the good old days, it used to be different. I, I Perhaps it was. When I read, though, the actual history of some of the political fights that happened mm. in the earlier days of our country, it sounds to me like it was pretty raucous back then, too. Well, I'm only talking about 12 years. I'm right. not going back to the beginning of the country. Right. <laughs> but I'm saying here's, we, we've had passionate debates on policy issues, Cynthia, and we always will and we should. But at the end of the day, we had unanimous budgets coming out of appropriations. But here's the thing about political power is that it's only as good as you can use it to accomplish something. So, I mean, I love all the statements about civility and I love all the ideas about bipartisanship and Angus King, you know, went to Washington thinking he was going to be a bridge. He's not a bridge. There's So I accept that the partisanship is severe and we're in difficult times but it seems to me like when I let's sh transition to what's going on in the news today we listened perhaps you had time I know you've been on the campaign trail but the Senate the United States Senate is holding confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh and you know a lot of people thought going into those hearings that the Democrats really didn't have anything that they could do and that it was meritless really or fruitless to, to try to block them but I think they've shown a, I think um, a collective important effort to point out the um, unfairness of the process and um, perhaps um, as a team um, do something to slow down the confirmation of a justice they think you know is being confirmed too quickly I I mean how else do you have that political power unless you can get people around you on a team. How can you not be on a team if you're in politics? Well, what's interesting is that the, the assumption is that the teams are playing for the greater good, and I'm saying they're playing for themselves. And there's a duopoly right now, Cynthia. I'm happy to leave you with some printed material that will um, that will broaden it. It's hard to summarize this entire thing for your listeners, but um, right now, neither party has to solve a problem. They just have to make you more afraid of the other guy oh, I know. or the other gal. And I'm telling you, I don't want to pay for that, and we're all paying for it, Cynthia. Well, let's Isn't it time that we get something done that, that that collectively we benefit from. We spend so much time, first of all, in Maine, we have so much more in common than we have that separates us. But we'll find those few things that separate us and we'll blow them up in a way that prevents us from doing the things that we know we all need. And I will take a different approach to that by trying to keep the focus, look for intersections of interest, and respect people that disagree with me. They're not my enemy. I'm not going to hate my neighbor because they voted differently than I did. All right, let me ask you this then. Your governor of Maine and the Supreme Court makes some changes at the national level that really put the pressure on states to do the regulating when it comes to women's reproductive health. Mm. Um, are you going to, first of all, do you have a position on women's reproductive health and choice? The woman and her health care provider should make that decision in collaboration. I don't ever want to be a part of it for anybody else. I think I absolutely believe in choice. Okay. As governor, when you're as governor, when you're appointing judges, are you going to use the choice issue as a litmus test? Uh, uh, in Maine? Yes. 
like district court judges? Probably yeah. not. That's not a decision they'll be asked to make. Um, not as I understand our court system, that's not going to be before a district court judge in Maine. If, if there's a change at the national level in terms of the law and the way the law is applied, I'm going to take an oath as governor to uphold the law. It doesn't mean I have to like it. It means I can work like crazy to change it. But what the law is becomes my responsibility as the head of the executive branch and as governor. I will fight like crazy not to have that happen. That's a step that's so far backwards I can't see where we would end up if you mean that were to happen. To make abortion illegal? Correct. So, or, or doing things that, that make it harder and harder. I think it's difficult right now economically for women who, who are not, who don't have the means. You know, so I, I struggle with that economic component to it, but I don't think we should be doing anything that restricts the opportunity for women to make that decision for themselves. So, Did you think but as I will obey the law. I have to. Did you think as a Democrat, or, or if, if you were a Democrat today, do you think that the Democrats are making a mistake by not supporting um, women who claim to be feminists but pro-life? Do you think there should be room under the I Democratic Party tent for pro-life? I don't judge the Democratic Party. They'll decide for themselves I'm not a member anymore. That's, the, that's you know, it's interesting because a political party, the only one that can decide if you're in it or not is you. Exactly. And, and having chosen not to be there, it is not my intent to to judge them on how they deal with with their own members the members will figure that out do you have you are a clean election candidate mm -hmm. um, do you have any regrets given the turmoil surrounding the clean election funding for going this route none whatsoever in fact I still intend to be Maine's first clean elections governor and I believe if you can if you can win using that program with a six-week hiatus in the middle of the of the summer I suspect others will use the program in the future what's really neat about it Cynthia is that I now instead of being on the phone for 20 or 25 hours a week asking people for money I can be all over Maine in the evenings and on the weekends listening to Mainers in, in real dialogue without having my hand out and asking for fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars a pop you know I'm so grateful to Maine taxpayers for paying for my campaign it's a it's a difficult program there's a lot of there's a lot of steps to it and it's time-consuming um, uh, and uh, manpower consuming but what it does is free up my time to focus on the things that matter that aren't about asking you know um, people that have a lot of money to support my campaign I will work on behalf of all of Mainers not not just folks who can write checks or p people in this party or people in that party I'll have to be accountable to everyone because everyone has helped pay for my campaign very grateful for the program and I'm hoping that my success with it will help spur others to use it in the future and so as governor you would not then uh, take steps to weaken the clean election program no <laughs> do you have money invested in the stock market personally I my retirement money is all tied up at Maine PERS um, and so so technically um, Probably, but uh, not that I control personally. You're I, not an active investor. I, I am not. I has am not. has your? It seems to me like there must have been a very interesting learning curve as a state treasurer. You obviously have a lot of knowledge now about the market that perhaps you didn't have before. So what I was wondering about is if it's led you to want to be a part of it. Um, it has not. 
um, I, I tend to be risk averse as well, and, and the market is a very risky place to be. What's interesting is treasurer. I serve on 11 different boards, and in each case representing the taxpayers' interests on that board. So I'm a trustee for the retirement system. I'm on the Maine State Housing Board. I'm on the Maine Municipal Bond Bank, um, the Finance Authority of Maine, just to, to name a few. And and that's where the learning comes from. You know, there's there's no preparation that I could think of that I could have done ahead of time that would cover the basis of those, you know, all those 11 different settings. But I'm very grateful to the folks I serve with and the individuals who work in those organizations. I, I feel like I have a much broader sense of the uh, impact of those decisions. But we go from one board that makes decisions about loans for individual consumers around hearing aids to investing, you know, $75 million in the retirement system. And those two can happen in the same week. It's Sounds fascinating. fascinating. It is. Yes. Uh, I'm going to sh switch gears now. Um, I'm we had a presidential election. Are mm -hmm. you, have you shared publicly, are you willing to share who you supported in the 2016 presidential election? Um, I voted for the Democrat. I didn't have Hillary very Clinton. good choices. I did. I didn't like either of the choices I had. And so um, Donald Trump obviously is, is, is he, the president. He won. Yes. <laughs> um, why do you think, in your opinion, um, a majority, I think it's 53% of educated white women went out in 2016 and supported Donald Trump. Do you have any opinion about why educated white women, the majority of educated white women, would support Donald Trump for president? I would suggest that they didn't like the other choice. In other words, this is part of my observation of the two-party system. If they don't, if if you look at the two choices, and you and you and you don't like either one of them, and and I really look back at that election and say, seriously, this is the best we can do all the way around. You know, I don't think that's the case. I don't. I don't trust the, the party, voters, the party mechanism, to put forth. Well, how many people voted as you walked through that process system? That internally, the parties decide. And I look at that. And I think, and we leave them to do that. We don't have open primaries. You know, you, I've heard you say before, Cynthia. If you want to want to weigh in on picking the Democrat, then you can be a Democrat. Fine. And if I choose not to be a Democrat, don't make me pay for the selection process. Right now, I pay for that selection process in Maine, and I don't well, think we that's fair. Well, a lot of people might think it's not fair to pay for clean elections or pay for. Um, well, wait a you minute. Know, we, the voters, it's interesting that because twice clean elections has been on the ballot and has been supported by Maine voters. Closed primaries has never been on the ballot and been supported by Maine voters. It was decided by the parties who, get, who, who work together. The only thing they agree on is that they want to keep just the two of them. So there are significant barriers to people who, who want to participate in politics without being a part of one of those teams. There are barriers to entry that don't exist or wouldn't, but the parties have created them. This is the only See, truly yeah. self-regulated so, industry in this entire country is our politics industry, and we are getting exactly the outcomes that favor the perpetuation of the two parties, but, but not necessarily solutions to the things that those of us that we need, those of us that are paying the so you're okay so you think that the majority of white women who are educated voted for Donald Trump because they didn't support Hillary Clinton um, given that independents you know are often thought of as the spoiler and I'm sure this is something that you've 
had to deal with from day one in your campaign mm -hmm. is, is addressing the very real possibility that given the polls putting Janet Mills, the Democrat, and Sean Moody, the Republican, neck and neck, and the polls, the Suffolk University poll is what I'm thinking of at the moment, that gave you and Alan Karen, the other independent, four and three percent, I, th I think that's close. Um, so just enough maybe to, um, some would say, alter the outcome. Um, do you think your stance and your role in the election is so important that you're willing to risk perhaps being the spoiler? Well, I don't, I don't first of all, I don't accept the, the name. Um, it's been more than 40 years since we've had a gubernatorial campaign and election in Maine with, with fewer than um, three candidates on the ballot. So I'm looking at this saying, we're used to this. This is not a big deal. You realize that none of the, none of the, we've yet to have all four of the candidates who will be on the ballot in November who've earned the opportunity to be a choice for Maine voters. We have yet to be in the same room and be, and have the opportunity to answer questions for the electorate. That hasn't happened yet. And the first one, I believe, will be on Monday of next week, I think September 10th. So. I will tell you that it is way too soon. The only poll that matters is the one that happens on November 6th. I can't spoil something that's already rotten. It was rotten before I got here. I, I, I don't apologize to anyone for running. There is no opportunity to reject the duopoly if I'm not on the ballot, Cynthia, and that's why I'm doing this. It's not my ego. It's, it's that I've watched, and I may see it differently than you do. I think that the atmosphere and the the winner-take-all, the you-gotta-hate-your-enemy thing, this whole fist-to-fist -fist that's happening in Augusta with the partisanship, we don't have to do it that way. You know, so many people have said they dislike uh, Governor LePage and his management style and leadership style. So if you hate it, why are you gonna do it? Mm -hmm. Do you want his legacy to be this? I say despite their best efforts, both either partisan, if they are elected, will lock us into this in a way. We don't have to do it that way, Cynthia. And if I'm not on the ballot, you won't have that choice. I might not persuade you to vote for me, but I'm not going to give up trying all the way through 8 p.m. on November 6th. Terry Hayes, if listeners want to learn more about you and your campaign, where should they go? My website is hayesformain.com, spelled out. There's plenty of information there. Lots of this, this interview will be posted there as well if you share the podcast link with us. We'll I certainly will. And um, I look forward to being Maine's next governor on November 6th. Thank you very much.